0: Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. Hey clones, what's cracking? Welcome back to the Daily Jungle. It is tremendous to be back, even if it meant a stack of the same old tired, who's the new guy emails and tweets. We had ourselves a hell of a show, didn't we? Three great guests. Houston Texans offensive tackle David Questenberry told his amazing story about battling back from cancer. NFL legend and now NFL network analyst Steve Smith Sr. was incredible. Plus, rapper, actor, mogul, and big three league creator Ice Cube came up big like he always does. And after two weeks off, there was so much to catch up on. Smack Off 23, Ezekiel Elliott getting hit with that six-game suspension, and a topic I never thought that I would ever have to discuss on this program, Nazis. Alvy, let's not waste any time. Go ahead and do what you do. Yes, Nazis. Actual Nazis in 2017. Honestly, it is a sports show. So I figured I'd be able to make it through my entire career without ever having to talk about Nazis. But after what happened in Charlottesville over the weekend, that's now impossible. Pretty much impossible to not talk about Nazis when they're holding torchlight rallies and murdering a 32-year-old woman. Oh, And marching around with the Detroit Red Wings logo because apparently that's a thing that Nazis are into these days. Again, Nazis. Freaking Nazis. Something that millions of people around the world gave their lives to eliminate just over 70 years ago. Yet now they're marching in broad daylight in Charlottesville, Virginia. And athletes have certainly taken note. Like LeBron, who tweeted, quote, It's sad what's going on in Charlottesville. Is this the direction our country is heading? Make America great again, huh? He said that, end quote. He then chased it with, quote, Our youth deserves better, flat out, end quote. And Oklahoma City Thunder big man, Ennis Cantor, tweeted, quote, Your silence normalizes Nazis. Doesn't it also make you one? Hashtag Charlottesville. He then followed that up with a pic of the Statue of Liberty and the message, quote, America only needs one torch. It's bigger and brighter than yours. Hashtag Charlottesville. Eagles defensive end Chris Long, who went to high school in Charlottesville, he went to UVA, he tweeted, among other things, quote, insanely frustrating evolution will favor the self-assured not man babies with tiki torches or people playing militia and before you hit chris long with a stick to sports save it he's not interested in that quote some people are tired of hearing me tweet because they want me to stick to football but i like to use social media like i was a regular guy because i think i am I don't tell people to stick to their job when they want to talk politics, and this isn't political. That's the thing. Everyone is trying to turn this political. This isn't a political issue. This is right or wrong. I believe you're on one side or the other. For me, being from Charlottesville, no one wants to see you sit idly by and watch that stuff happen and not say anything. And I wish there was more categorical denial from some very important people in the country who have had the opportunity to strike it down but didn't. End quote. Wait, there's even more. Sean Doolittle, Nationals relief pitcher and a former UVA player. Quote, it's 2017. Actual Nazis... Just marched on Charlottesville. We have to come together and drive this hatred and domestic terrorism from our country. End quote. He also went on to tweet, quote, people say if we don't give them attention, they'll go away. Maybe, but if we don't condemn this evil, it might continue to spread. This kind of hatred was never gone, but now it's been normalized. They didn't even wear hoods. It's on us to condemn it and drive it out. End quote. It's a key point, right? They didn't even wear hoods. That's how comfortable they were. They didn't even wear hoods. Look, I'm guessing that there are some of you who really are not interested in hearing this and who are already tweeting and emailing and calling to say that this is a sports show and that you come in here to escape all that other stuff. I get that. I hear that. I know that. I'm not going to spend all show on this. But I'm also not going to ignore it. Not when Nazis are marching in broad daylight, and not when a 32-year-old woman is dead because of it. When that happens, you say something, and you condemn it, because as Doolittle tweeted, there is only one side. We are joined by David Questenberry. You know, I would imagine as an athlete, you're used to dealing with injuries, but nothing like that. And now we have him back. David, thanks for doing that. I want to make sure that we had a good, clean phone line for this conversation. I mentioned, David, as an athlete, you're used to dealing with injuries. But how do you go about dealing with cancer? And how do you approach coming back from something like that?
1: It was hard. It was really hard. It was a long journey. Um, You know, it's different than than an injury where you get surgery and you're trying to work back. It was, um, you know, I went through 10 intensive rounds of chemotherapy. It was um, basically like ten weeks in the hospital. Um, you know, we basically poisoned your body and by the end of it I felt like the furthest thing from a football player, furthest thing from myself. And uh that mentally that was hard because like how how am I ever gonna get back to to playing? I'd lost fifty, sixty pounds, you know, no hair, bags under the eyes, the whole the whole deal I it it seemed so daunting, but you know, thankfully, uh you know the team, the Texans. You know the the owner, Mr. McNair. He he, uh, you know he he's a survivor himself, and and he knows, you know what what it's like to be told that news, and you know to to worry about you know what the future holds. And he told me like, you get healthy and you you come back from this, and and we want to support you in that, and and we know you're gonna do it, and we can't wait to see you back back in that Texan uniform. And, on that field one
0: day. David, you mentioned your teammates. For instance, your teammate Dwayne Brown said that the news of your diagnosis hit him like a ton of bricks, but then when he went to visit you, you told him that you were going to be fine and that that was all he needed to hear. So what kind of support did you receive from your teammates throughout that process?
1: Yeah, the the whole time my teammates have been amazing. They just – when you're going through it, like – it it's such a different world than you're used to. It's like hospital visits and you know, you're you're giving blood, you're drawing blood and um you know, you're taking all these pills to help keep you keep you alive basically. And <clears throat> just when you get around your teammates, you know, when they would come visit me or you know, come come over just to hang out for a bit, it was like it was like your normal life again. It was just like you know, it kept you motivated, kept you Kept you in the fight, kept you kept you going, you know, believing that one day you'll be back not sick and back healthy, you know, living the life that you, uh, that you work for.
0: David, there's a tradition at MD Anderson Cancer Center that when you finish your chemotherapy, you ring a bell to let the world know that you're on your way back to being well. You not only rang that bell, you ripped it off the wall. What was that moment
1: like for you? <laughs> yeah, I did. It was... It was it was it was a long time coming, you know, it was you know, that was April eleventh. That, that just that just happened a few months back. We uh my whole family was there and it was it was one of those things where it's like, you know, this is your last round, like this is this has been a moment that we had talked about since you got since you got diagnosed and uh you know, I was gonna ring that bell as hard as I could because it was just like like the end of a end of a fight and and we came out, you know, we came out triumphant and uh <laughs> that that bell came right off. But but I, I stayed and I had to make sure they could fix it and put it back together again because there was somebody <laughs> else waiting to ring it after and it's pretty important bell. I was going to have to run down to Home Depot and get him a get him a new one. I it, love it. It was busted up.
0: That's great. David Questenberry joining us, Texans offensive lineman. You know, a lot of players necessarily well, don't necessarily regard training camp as a fun experience, but to go through what you've gone through and then to come out—what's it been like for you to be out there on the field once again, battling against the likes of JJ Watt and Jadavian Clowney?
1: Oh man, it's, it feels like feels like I'm back home. It feels—you know—I forgot how much I missed. You know how much I love waking up with my hands hurting and my 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 legs are sore and achy. And, Bumps and bruises all over your arms and and your body, and and it's a good feeling. It's it's a healthy feeling, and you know, just being out here and you know, back finding finding my rhythm, finding my groove, getting getting my feet back right. It's it's motivating for sure, and and it's it's a good feeling. Like since I finished my chemotherapy on April 11th, my, my you know my 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 maintenance, I feel like every week just getting that stuff further and further out of my system. Um, you know, every week in the weight room, it's a, it's, it's a PR. It's, you know, my, my numbers are jumping up crazy. And even out here at training camp, you know, just to wake up and, and feel good is, is motivating me. and um, And I'm enjoying every minute of it.
0: Yeah, we've got a few more moments with you. So let me ask, you know, you've played a lot of football games in your time. So the preseason open starts to approach – I would imagine there's no way that felt like another game. So when you go into that game at the 940 mark of the second quarter, what was it like to run back out onto the field in an NFL game once again?
1: Oh, man. Just just leading up to that game, like I, I, had, I had butterflies for three, four days. I never felt like that before, and I miss that feeling. I, I, you know, it's, when you're not playing, when you're not, when you're not in uniform – you don't really have to go to that place it's you know mentally it's 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 a different kind of kind of stress but when when you know that that game's coming up you're gonna be playing with it those those butterflies start start coming and i forgot how much i i love that feeling and uh all the way up until i until i you know took the field at at 940 like you said and once i ran out man it felt like i was like i was floating the whole time and in the huddle you hear the play call Breaking, getting your stance and, and then it was just like like muscle memory it was just like like I was back like I was back home and get that first hit and and we we're rolling I mentioned Ezekiel Elliott
0: the NFL's investigation into his domestic violence allegations had been going on so long it was hard to believe that it was ever going to end but it did so on Friday with the announcement that he's going to be suspended for six games It's a stunner to a team coming off a 13-win season. But if your first reaction is what Elliott allegedly beating a woman on multiple occasions means for the Dallas Cowboys backfield and your fantasy football draft, I strongly suggest that you sit this one out. And I can already feel this kind of blowback, like, God, Rome, lighten up already. And listen, I've been off two weeks. There are some very serious things going on, serious issues. So let's talk about this for a minute. On the one hand, you've got six games. The six-game suspension is following the league's policy for domestic violence. That's your baseline suspension. It can go up or it can go down for mitigating circumstances. So he gets six games, yet other players like Josh Brown have received less, much less for domestic violence incidents. So it was always a crapshoot to try to predict how the NFL was going to respond to Elliott's situation. And when they did, they dropped a serious punishment on one of the league's brightest young stars. And they did so on the biggest team in the NFL and one of the most powerful owners in the NFL, especially given... That said owner spent month after month telling everybody that it was going to be a non-issue. Remember, back in March, Jerry Jones said, quote, there is just nothing. During the Hall of Fame game, he said, quote, the domestic violence is not an issue, end quote, and that he did not anticipate any suspension. Well, according to league, there was a lot more than nothing, and it definitely was an issue. So, as always, does the punishment fit the crime? And especially in this case where prosecutors have not pursued criminal charges. I know you're going to bring that up, Cowboy fan. How can they hit him with a six-game suspension when there were no criminal charges? And the answer is, if what the league says is true, then he does deserve that suspension. Because according to the NFL, there were three incidents within a week last year involving Elliott and a woman. One was on July 17th when Elliot attacked Tiffany Thompson at the canvas back lane apartments in Columbus, Ohio, which resulted in injuries to her arms, neck, and shoulders. Then two days later, the league says there was an altercation where he used force and she left with injuries to her face, arms, wrists, and hands. And then two days after that, another incident that left her with injuries to her face, neck, arms, knees, and hips. And there was photographic evidence that the league felt was compelling. So Elliott's expected to appeal the suspension, and his rep said in a statement that, quote, the NFL's findings are replete with factual inaccuracies and erroneous conclusions, and it cherry-picks so-called evidence to support its conclusion while ignoring other critical evidence. All right, so what are we left with? Maybe they're right. Maybe there was nothing there. Maybe that's why Jerry Jones was so confident that nothing would happen. Maybe the NFL just got this one wrong. Let's face it. The NFL does not exactly have a flawless record when it comes to handing out justice. Elliott's side has argued that the case isn't what it appears and that there were other things at play. But... Peter Harvey, the former attorney general for New Jersey, who led the NFL's chief advisors of its investigation, was not having any of that in a conference call. He said, quote, the suggestion was made, maybe somebody else did it, except there was never someone else who was revealed and identified as somebody who would have done it. What the NFL's investigators learned is that on at least four nights, Mr. Elliott and Ms. Thompson stayed together in the same apartment in the same bedroom. So the injuries did not just, at least in my judgment, magically appear on her body. So while evidence or while alternative theories are interesting, in my judgment, they have to be supported by evidence. And that was lacking in this particular situation, end quote. So I can bottom line it this way. I don't know what did or didn't happen because I wasn't at the canvas back lane apartments last summer. I was not a part of that investigation. But if the league is simply grasping at straws, they're doing it pretty confidently. They believed her version over his version. And they did so to the extent that they did not reduce the six game suspension for a superstar player. There's something less right out of the gate. And they could have. Again, that's a baseline, the six games. As for Elliott himself, he tweeted a statement that included in part that he was, quote, surprised and disappointed by the suspension. And I'll be real. I'm not surprised that he's surprised by the suspension. Because I'm not sure this guy gets it. Not after what he's done while he's been under investigation. Remember, the NFL pointed out that Elliot's act at a St. Patrick's Day parade this year where he yanked down a woman's top was, quote, inappropriate and disturbing and, quote, reflected a lack of respect for women. (laughs) Truth. It is inappropriate and disturbing at any time, but even more so when you're already under investigation for domestic violence. That does not sound to me like a guy who gets it and has changed his ways. Again, I don't know what he did, I don't know what he didn't do, but I don't need to know to know that this guy does not get it. He didn't get it at Ohio State. He still doesn't get it in Dallas because he had issues then and he obviously has issues right now. And if a six-game suspension does not get this guy's attention, nothing will. Look, I know it's hard to be young, rich, and famous when you're a target and so many people are coming at you. I get it. A lot of people can't handle that. That's the problem. He's one of those guys. So just stay home, and depending on your appeal, you may have just thrown away six games of your career. You're killing your team. Wake the hell up before you do any more damage to your career or the team that's paying you and counting on you. Six games, but he'll appeal, and we'll see. Steve Smith Sr. joining us. An NFL Network analyst now. Of course, you can follow him on Twitter at 89 Smith. Now, you've been making your rounds. You've gone to a number of teams. You spent some time with the Buffalo Bills, and you spoke to their wide receivers. Sammy Watkins was still with the team at that time. Yes. And he said that your message, Steve, to him was, quote, the DBs are not our friends. I love the Bills DBs to death, but at the end of the day, I've got to feed my kids. I've got a legacy I'm trying to chase. He was just telling us you're not a bad guy if you're an a-hole, basically. (laughs) It was a good speech, end of quote. So as a receiver, how much of this game is just a personal battle between you and the defensive back?
2: Well, I think really um one of the biggest things is it's a battle within yourself. Um you know, there's a lot of things going on. I mean, we're, you know, our our game is talked about 24 hours a day via uh Twitter, Instagram, um blogs and all that stuff. So you have, you know, in the last 16 years, things have changed dramatically. You know, we uh, baseball used to be America's pastime, but I really believe football has become that pastime. It's a 44. You know, each teams are making millions and billions of dollars, so it's it's really um, a big deal. So, you know, Sammy took what I said, and everybody takes a conversation differently. But basically, what I was just pointing out to him is, you know, you could be friends. And you can, you know, you can have fun and 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 uh, uh, once a coach you say you could jaw jack around all you want, but at the end of the day, when you step on the field, don't be surprised when a guy that you're standing next next to in the uh, cafeteria line uh, takes a shot at you because he his job is online, too. He's trying to feed his family. He's trying to get a job. He's trying to get a roster spot. There's 90 uh, roster spots beginning training camp, and it goes down to 53 at the end of uh, before the first kickoff. So you can't always be friends with everybody. Friends are going to come and go. Um, And so just making sure they understand that because in our, if you watch how, you know, NBA, NFL, how the players are, a lot of guys that uh, are rivals, you know, back in the 90s when I was watching the Pistons and the Chicago Bulls and the Los Angeles Lakers and the Boston Celtics, uh, New York Knicks, those guys hated each other. But when you look at our game now – you know, in basketball teams, guys are getting on the same teams and 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 being rivals, but yet being friends, taking vacations together, and so just understanding, like you know, you can do that, but also don't get it, uh, don't get it confused. It's still competitive, and 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 you gotta uh, be willing. A friend at that point in time, you you gotta be able to be willing to, uh, you know, hit hit them. And, uh, uh, and and, and um, uh, put them in the dirt, and I think sometimes uh, the, the friendships kind of um, um, kind of take that a little bit.
0: Steve Smith, senior, joining us for a few more moments. You know, Steve, you've been very outspoken when it comes to the issue of domestic violence. So what was your reaction when you heard that the league was suspending Ezekiel Elliott for six games? and what kind of a message does that send the rest of the players around the NFL?
2: I think it sends a huge message. Uh, some people say it's a um, distorted message. Every guy is different. I think ultimately the decision and the message that the league is sending is things have to change. Um, there's there's more guys coming out. And I, I, I don't want to say more guys, but I just did say that. But I think because of our game and the reporting of all that you do on the field and off the field, Guys are coming out of college, unfortunately, sounding like with a rap sheet or or perspective or something that isn't good. And I think the league is kind of trying to send a message like, look, just because you could catch a football but get in trouble at the same time, there are going to be ramifications, consequences. You're not going to be allowed to come to the draft, which will hurt your uh, draft status. Then if you are didn't have any issues in college but you get here and you're doing some things that just doesn't represent our brand, you know, right, there are going to be consequences. And, you know, that's just kind of how it goes. The same thing goes in business. You could be a C- CEO of a company, have some uh, things that don't work out, but after a while you look at the guy for Uber. You know, you have to step down. Shareholders are going to require – you to behave right, and they, they cannot allow someone to damage uh, their share, their stock, that ultimately uh, gets in their, pocket, their own pockets. So you're going to have ramifications and consequences.
0: Now, see, we recently had, or you recently had, the Hall of Fame game, we all did, and the Hall of Fame inductions, and I ran down your numbers at the start of this interview, and you've had the kind of career that generates a lot of attention when it comes to the Hall of Fame what would it mean to you to be voted into the Hall?
2: I mean, it would be one of my goals that I've had for my career from the start. Um, it, it is something that um, when you speak of Hall of Fame, everybody knows what it is. Um, so if I am um, uh, get that opportunity, get that jacket, it'll be great. Um, but... You know, we all can't get it, but if, you know, if I get that chance, it'd be awesome. But at the same time, um, I still have had the opportunity to uh, have fun and play the game in which I've uh, grown in love and grew up watching and desired to play in, and I did it.
0: Steve, i got one last thought for you. You know, watching you your entire career... Like all great athletes, I've always marveled at your drive, your fire, your desire, your determination, your will. You know, part of the things that make you so great. So I've got kind of a two-part question. If you could bottle that, you'd be a billionaire. We all want it. Is it something that you can manufacture? Is it something that's innate? Are you hardwired for it? Or is it a part of your background? And then once your playing career is over, does it wane or do you still have it? and do you just try and disperse it in different ways now?
2: Well, one, you have to disperse it in different ways. Uh, I do believe uh, the gift is, um, you know, the way I grew up, the curse is the way I grew up. Um, And I say a curse because um, there's times where um, the passion that you have does not always require that same passion when you're talking to your 15-year-old daughter um, or when you're talking to your 19-year-old son or when you're talking to your wife, who is not a football player, not a football coach. You know, so you have to kind of, you know, uh, consciously, you know, turn it off. There's a part of me where um, I'm happy I don't have to be on, uh, deal with that pressure of ball anymore. I could just kind of go, you know. uh, Now it's uh, getting the kids to their events on time, uh, which is easy um, compared to, uh, doing ball. Um, so, uh, it all varies. And yes, um, if I could bottle up and sell it, it'd be great. But then I've always said this, if everybody played like me, then i would be out of a job and I wouldn't be unique. So, um, that's the gift and the curse about it. But you know, um, if I can go back and do it all over again, I'm not really sure I would, if changing things will be good because you never know the outcome. So, Um, I'm just happy where I am, Um, and I'm enjoying retirement, trying to figure out what's the next step, Uh, and, you know, trying to take it day by day. And it's been pretty cool. Uh, Golf game um, went from a flat line to has a little life, you know. So uh, I'm enjoying the the competition between the courses, you know, just battling the course itself. And so it's fun. And um, so that's what I'm kind of doing is – um, uh, I would really say more. I'm less golfy, more of uh, uh, killing some grass. But it's fun. I,
0: you've been so great with your time. I got to finally ask then, like, where are you playing, and what are some of your favorite courses?
2: Um, I played at North Old, Old, Old North State in in um in North Carolina. Um, I think before the season starts to start work, I'm I'm gonna head up to to Pinehurst to play up there. Um. So, I mean, my game is going. I only play nine holes right now because I walk, uh, trying to, you know, get in shape uh, and still do, still be active. Um, so, you know, one week I'm shooting a nine holes. I'm shooting a 55, and the next one I'm shooting a 64. So, uh, you know, I'm just trying to figure it out. And this week I'm playing playing twice, and hopefully, you know, I'll be in a, you know, if I can shoot a 56 after not playing for about a month. Uh, I'd be very thankful.
0: <laughs> All right, so I lied. One last follow. So you want to stay in shape, right? So you're on TV right now. If you're a guy that played the game as long as you did and you're constantly denying yourself and you're so disciplined, when you finally are done playing, do you kind of want to let it go and just do the things you were never able to do? Or are you feeling like, no, nah, I'm on TV. I've got that pride. I've got that vanity. I still have to look the part.
2: I mean, just be transparent to vanity. You don't want to be... No, no guy of a um, in the... Uh, special category: wide receiver, running back. Um, I think less of quarterbacks, but you know, corner, um, linebacker. Nobody wants to be the fat guy, like the guy you see on TV. Like, whoa,
3: that
2: dude blew up. You know, you don't want to be that, and I don't want to be that. Especially when you're five nine, um, you can look real fat on TV real quick. Um, so I'm, you know, I'm just trying to stay in shape, be healthy, and really too, one of the reasons to be healthy is, um, you know, my family has a history of diabetes. Um, so that's a very important to me and so I try to run and stay in shape so I have the opportunity uh to create a good habit of being healthy, but also because uh if I could run um if I could run enough during the week, that means I get the opportunity I'm healthy enough to walk my daughter down the aisle or uh, whatever age that is and so that's um uh, that's a constant battle. You look at all the stories and things about players and the health. Um, you know, I'm just trying to be a healthy guy. Um, that used to play football, but also just be a healthy father and husband. And I I think that'll that go a long way.
0: Nice, Cube, joining us. Cube, you had a dream. You had a vision for a professional three-on-three league. What's it been like for you to see this thing become a reality?
3: Uh, It's been, you know, a lot of hard work, of course. But, you know, all of that hard work is paying off because, you know, at the end of the day, you know, we're getting, you know, hard-nosed basketball in the summer. Guys are going after it. Uh, this format is great. It's something we all used to because we all grew up playing three-on-three basketball. And, you know, everybody can see the vision of, wh- of where this league can go and how it can grow and what it can become. And uh, this year, you know, we had uh, what I call the believers, you know, was the guys who saw, saw the dream and helped it come true.
0: Go back to your first point, because one of the things that keeps coming up from the players is that this is not some retirement league. It's a chance to go to battle and get after it in a legitimately competitive environment. Was there ever any concern on your part that it wouldn't be competitive, or did you know that with the guys you had in this league, guys like Stack Jack and Kenyon Martin, there was no way that they were going to coast?
3: You know, that's that's part of it. We were doing everything we could to ensure hard-nosed competition. And, you know, getting people like Kenyon Martin and uh, Chauncey Billups and uh, even coaches like Gary Payton, we know these guys are ballers. And an NBA contract does not dictate, you know, whether they're going to go all out in a basketball game or not. So, you know, that's the start. You know, we had the cornerstone of great hard-nosed players, you know, Steven Jackson coming on, Al Harrington, uh, Mike Dibby, Jermaine O'Neal, uh, Rashard Lewis. You know, all these guys, they want to compete with their peers. they sick of playing, you know, and a lot of pro-am kind of stuff. They're ready to play with guys they play with in the league.
0: Ice Cube joining us. And then you've got Charles Oakley. He made his debut as a player at Staples. He came very close to getting into a scrap with James White. What did you think seeing Oak back on the court?
3: Well, you know, I knew that it wouldn't be easy. Um, you know, I commend Oak for, for going out there and, and giving it a, a shot. Uh, but, you know, being fair to anybody out there, you know, nobody's just going to walk on the big three court and expect to, to to be successful their first game. Everybody struggles until they get the pace, the style, and the flavor of how, you know, we play. So, uh, you know, every every new player who's, who stepped on the court has struggled their first game. So if he plays in, in Seattle, he'll probably have a better, you know, game. But uh, he was putting some thump out there. You know, it's old oak. He's like, I was like, your name Oakley or Oak Tree? Which one is it? Cube,
0: you beat LeVar Ball in a four-point shooting contest. How did that feel, and how much pride do you have in that win?
3: I oh, mean, that's easy money. Look. <laughs> The Staples Center is my house, you know what I mean. Right. So, ain't nobody gonna come in my house and beat me in my house on my court. Uh, no, no, it was fun. You know, I commend <laughs> That's great. LeVar for coming out there. He was a he was a good sport about it, and um, you know, it, it, he, to me, he's he's put so much more excitement into Laker basketball right now. Uh, not him, but but his son, but the whole you know uh, style is is so L.A. to me. And uh, so, uh, I, you know, I just can't wait to see his son on the court. And I love beating him because he got a big mouth. So <laughs> I had to shut that mouth.
0: Cube joining he, us. I was going to say, and you answered this in large part, but what do you make of the old man? And then more importantly, what do you make of his son, Lonzo?
3: Um, great potential. Uh, seems like he's ready for the big stage. Um, you know, I love, you know, that he's, you know, a true point guard uh, that's willing to to get his teammates involved and make them better. So, I'm excited. Uh, you know, I didn't realize he was six six, So, that makes me even more excited because big point guards are, uh, you know, they have a nice, nice uh, place in my heart uh, uh, like Magic Johnson. So, I can't wait to see what he got. As far as the father, I think it's brilliant. I mean – He's the only college player I even knew about, you know, it's so much one and done in college. Now, you know, the fans are not really investing into the, to the players as much. They just wait and see what they're going to do. Um, so, you know, for a guy to put some light on his son to, to tell his son that, you know, he's the best thing since sliced bread, tell the world that, you know, i I've, I'm, I was in that position with straight out of Compton with my son, uh, so O'Shea Jackson Jr., you know, I was going to scream from the mountaintops that, you know, this is one of the best new actors in Hollywood, not just because he's my son, because he's just a brilliant person. So I knew that he would be able to to take this and run with it, and he's doing great things. So I commend Lavar for, for you know, doing it how he feels. Of course, I don't agree with everything he does. Who who's gonna agree with any man and everything they do? So, um some of the things he do I wouldn't do, but for the most part, you know, I love a man that's behind his kids.
0: Talking ice cube for a few more moments. And cube, I know you've been really busy with the league, but if you step away from the court for just a moment, what kind of thoughts and emotions have you had when you see what happened in Charlottesville over the weekend with Nazis? Nazis marching in broad daylight?
3: Uh, it's terrible. Um but you know, this is something you know this is the ugliness of racism um it's not pretty, it's ugly, it's uh elusive it it hides uh and it pops out you know uh you know like herpes or something you know what I mean it just pops out all out of, out of nowhere, so it's kind of crazy to see you know this on a high level i mean I heard it was like. Only a few arrests you know out of that mayhem you know it's it's like let's get these thugs off the street let's uh you know clean up this thing you know if to me you know the monument going or stand, who could give a damn to me? I could care less you know uh people getting hurt over it now that's that's just crazy that's just crazy um that's just, to me, it's, it, it makes no sense for people to get hurt uh, for that thing that's been there so long. And who gives a damn, you know, about about uh, Robert E. Lee's statue or whoever the hell he is. Who cares?
0: Smack Off 23. I, I haven't been here to talk about it, but I did tweet when it was over. And I said at that time that it was the greatest Smack Off yet. And now two weeks have gone by, and believe me, Being out of the country and having some quality time with the family and getting out of the grind, I had a lot of time to think about that. And two weeks out, I'm going to stand by that statement. It was the best one we've had yet. There was so much at stake and there were so many questions coming in. You know, like there is every single year. Questions like, what will left do? Will Brad be able to rip back that crown? What will left do? Will Mike finally be able to get over the hump? What will left do? Who's going to pull the best cameo this year? What's left going to do? And then finally, what the hell is left going to do this time? Lots of questions, a ton of storylines, and some new faces. Jeff Passan. How would he deliver? Would he deliver? Six golden ticket winners. Which, if any of them, would make a name for themselves and make it back next year? So the smack-off has grown every single year. It's become kind of a beast, and the bar gets raised every single year, and this year was no exception, and I love it, and obviously you did too. The Smack Off trended for the entire day, even hours after we went off the air. It's pretty amazing. It even spawned yet another Sports Illustrated write-up, an epic SI write-up. So let's go ahead and take a look back at some of the best moments that made Smack Off 23 the best to date. Best line, always tough to call. But the best line may go to the guy who ends up ripping second place once again. See, the thing is, Mike and Indy gets a lot of heat for being the so-called jungle's bridesmaid. You know, never the bride. But it's not a good take. In fact, it's a bad take. Yes, he racked up his sixth second-place finish. But do you know how pure your game has to be to finish second six times in this event? And I mean that. I'm not being facetious. You know how good you have to be to come in second six times? And think about the last two. It took bum-rushing the studio and then bum-rushing the studio again with some legendary clones to beat this guy. Those were the only calls better than Mike and Indy's straight smack. Now, I get it. Nobody remembers second place. But I will. I will. Especially when Mike's call delivered what might have been the best line or lines of the day. All of them being about being inside of Vic's head.
4: I smacked Vic so hard a couple weeks back he got put in the concussion protocol. Then I protocoled left the week after that. And you better get the smelling salts out again, Romy, because I'm not finished. The doctors on the Smack Off CTE committee identified three guys who were deemed to be most at risk because I've protocoled them so many times. The first case identified was Vic. The committee observed that Vic tended to be a regular in all the places you don't want to be a regular. The check cashing store, the neighborhood whorehouse, fifth place in the smack off. So they ordered a scan of Vic's brain and in his brain scan, they saw an image of me waving at the camera. I've been in Vic's head so long, the state of California tried to charge me property taxes.
0: I tweeted the day of the smack off that this was the toughest smack off to decide a winner so far. And it's true. Mike Ran another winning race. That call was good enough to win. So now the dawn of the Midwest Mafia has got to come back stronger and better. And he does every single year. You can come see about him. He'll come even harder in the paint because you all can't. So he had some of the finest lines without question. The holy bleep moment of the event goes to Brad and Corona. This dude was cruising Mid-call, we were thinking that this guy might do the impossible for a second time. Go wire to wire and rip the crown. But then Brad went full Brad and did the unexpected. He fell on the freaking sword. Complete kamikaze. The first smack-off suicide.
4: So out of respect for the smack-off and my fellow competitors, Chael, Mike, Vic, Steve, Cam... Is there a cam? I, I don't know. All the other lames whose names I can't remember. I will now do the honorable thing by committing smack-off suicide, also known as smack-off harakiri or seppuku, which will bring honor to this competition and allow someone else besides me for a change to win the $5,000 this year. I'm going to end my call with a joke that I've written myself. hope you like it. And Alvi, get ready to send me to meet my maker. <coughs> Okay, so Najee Davenport, Peppermint Patty, and an uncircumcised Euro walk into a laundromat. Patty turns to Najee and says, hey, does it stink in here to you? The Euro says, no, those are just my turtlenecks. That's
2: not a good call. No. You don't like that call. I don't like that call.
0: Incredible. Not a
2: very good call.
0: Insane. Unprecedented. The biggest question of the day may not have been how Lef dug up Terrence and Sierra Madre but rather why Brad torpedoed a call that was good enough to win the whole thing. He said he had a scheduling conflict, which I'm sure was true. But then again with Brad, who really knows? Maybe he's pulling the long con. Maybe he's setting something up for next year. All I know is we were left to scrape our jaws up off the floor. After that all went down. Godspeed, Brad. I look forward to whatever it is you have next. A holy bleep moment for any smack-off, much less that one. How about best newcomer? This year we had more Golden Ticket winners than any year prior. We had six, but the only one that really stood out was the one that we had the most questions about, Benny and Wisco. Coming into this, the question was, the biggest question, does this guy have anything else to offer besides rat and cheese references? And the answer is yes. And no, he's like that great band that was performing live. You know, he was able to mix in some of his new stuff while at the same time playing all the hits.
4: Vic, I think I'm going to gloss you the Dice K Matsuzaka the jungle with that awkward delivery, the disappointing results and content that was much better at home before it made it to the show. But Jimmos, without individual walk-up songs this year, I really applaud you for playing Screaming Waistband at the top as a collective introduction to this group of lard-assed woolly mammoths. But thank you for the rodent ticket, allowing me to be part of this momentous occasion. The rind includes Friday, baby. Trap on your seatbelts, everybody. This is about to get radical.
0: Radical, bro. Radical performance from America's Dairyland. Or Benny in Swisco. It was great. How about Jeff Passan? I thought about lumping him in with the newcomers, but that's not really fair. Yes, it was his first smack off. He was not, though, a golden ticket winner. Nor was he on their level. He was on a level all his own. Jeff was something of a hybrid. He repped both the old and new school callers, and honestly... He killed it on his maiden voyage.
4: You know why I'm here, Jim? Because I'm a clone. Because I have takes that don't suck. Because I think tandem calls are lame cop-outs. Because when I think of jungle couples, I think of John and Trapper, not Brad and Corona and his meth dealer. Because when I hear the word war, I don't think of a location that comes before it. I think of what comes after it. Like war Toby in Houston, the Carmen San Diego of cranks. A war smack off Harmony. And definitely war team the others reminding us all adolescence and puberty is hard. I don't know if I'm going to win the smack off clones, but if I do, Jim, I know one thing. The final score is going to be 27-27. I'm
0: out. How about that? This guy was less than three days out from the MLB trading deadline. Arguably the busiest day for any reporter, especially for him. And yet he's out there. I mean, you'd think this guy's head would be someplace else. He wouldn't be focused, but you'd be wrong. He was on point. He was sharp. No gimmicks, no stunts. Straight up smack. And he brought it, and he walked away with a third-place finish. Could not be any more proud of Jeff Passan. Not surprised, but proud. You never know that first time out. And then, of course, you got the best call. You got the champ, the reigning champ, the first back-to-back smack-off winner in a decade, left in Laguna. Again, the question coming in was, what was he going to do? And then after that, the only question left was, how the hell did he do that? He dug into the SI archives, to recreate a picture, really an event, that took place more than two decades ago, and he brought along one of SI's best writers, Ben Golver to recap it all. The article dropped while I was in the basement, and it was pretty awesome. And then, of course, you had the Terrence cameo. Tons of people would ask me over the years, whatever happened to Terrence? Whatever happened to Terrence? Why doesn't this guy call anymore? And honestly, I really never answered the question. I wouldn't answer it because I assumed the worst. We, I think we all literally assumed the worst, that he had passed away. So when Leff not only pulled him onto his call, but then pulled him into the studio, it was literally like seeing a ghost.
4: Uh, uh, Jim, uh, being a star actor in the jungle uh, just means you're a failed smack runner. Uh, per, per, per Vialvi, uh O.J. Kilder... Uh, Studio, Stormy. Hey, hey, don't go pissing your pants, kid. What the hell happened? You
5: lose your place in a damn script? In my day, we didn't even use scripts. Well, but, but, but aren't you... Terrence and Sarah Madry. Yeah, yeah. So what? But, but I thought you were... Dead? Now, legends never die, kid, unless you're burnt Corona. You killed that guy last year. Hey, this is your big chance. You know what an honor it is to be in the pole position and go back-to-back? Unless you're that cow-tipping redneck Mike and Indy or his lackey shale... Hey, if he fought Mayweather under MMA rules, he'd still get his ass kicked. That guy's gonna end up wrestling bears at the carnival. Okay, and hey, listen, kid, I got your back. You know that 1996 Sports Illustrated picture of all those clones with Jim? They all got your back too, kid. You can count on it. The the
4: 1996 SI photo shoot. I mean, do you mean to tell me that Joe and Lemon Grove, Dave the Mayor and Poway, Rich and Anaheim Hills, Silk, Ira, Trapper, and Jim Benton, the Detolas, and Rader, Mike, all of my back, but but I thought they were dead too.
5: I told you, kid, legends never die. Besides, they're not dead. They're just dead from the neck up. They can still walk around and pose for a picture now and then. Come on now.
4: Well, well Jim, I think that's them walking into the studio right now.
0: It's pretty amazing. I mean, I, I literally thought Terrence was dead. I thought he was dead, and there's Terrence right before my eyes. I understand Terrence is an icon and a legend of this show, but I don't think I've seen Terrence more than three times in my entire life. And I certainly thought I would never see him again. And there he was. It's an incredible moment. I mean, I don't know what Left had to do to not only get a hold of Terrence, but then to convince him to be a part of this. But then again, I really don't need to know or want to know. It just goes down in jungle history as one of the wildest moments ever. The full list, Ray, Rich in Anaheim Hills, Trapper, Silk, Joe in Lemon Grove, the CEO, the coach, freaking Kerwin. From Riverside made it in. Jim Benton, the original webmaster, Terrence and Sierra Madre, and of course Randall dressed as Raider Mike. He even brought back freaking hacksaw.
4: And Romy, as you can see, I'm, I'm keeping it totally old school today. I've dropped all the gimmicks. Whitey hit it. Ah. Woo. Hacksaw, that's your cue. Oh. Three, two, one. Let's I want to talk Chargers soccer
5: with you. You're in bombs. Flutter guns. I want to hear from you. Parent tunnels. Bleacher fires. Looking at your soccer mom. Show me your lightning bolts. Corner kick me a phone
4: call. Thanks, Smacksaw. Hey, I am How's that for old school, huh? And
0: never mind how did he talk Terrence into it. How did he talk the knife into it? Smacksaw? Hey, Look, I agree with Mike and Indy. When he said it's still called the smack off, not the heartwarming moment off. But where Mike Nindy set out, an amber alert for the smack and left's call, there was some there. It was there. You may have just lost it while getting caught up, waiting to hear what he was going to do. But there was actual smack.
4: Hey, Romy, last night, did you see a helmet chipped the tooth of Aaron Judge? How in the hell did a helmet even find a tooth in this guy's gap mouth? I mean, dude's got so many gaps in his teeth. Whenever Joe Girardi comes to put the shift on, I'm pretty sure he's motioning for Aaron's chicklets to move over. And with that jack-o'-lantern mouth, people in New York have already started calling him Mr. October 31st. I know his name is Aaron Judge, but are we sure he wasn't created by Mike Judge? I mean, dude looks so much like Butthead. I have to expect his pressers to sound like... I like to swing big wood. <laughs> that was cool. If Aaron Judge can bring the teeth, Mark and Hollywood can sure supply the gums.
0: Anyway, what's poppin', Twitter? Hey, yeah, like, trust me, nobody knows that you can't win off gimmicks alone more than Leff. Remember, he nearly clipped my tower with a helicopter and only finished fifth. So he's sharpened up his takes and smack over the past few years, and he's delivered strong two years running now. At the end of the day, what was the thing that you remembered most? It was Leff for his smack, for his gimmicks, for unearthing Terrence. It was an incredible call to top what was the best smack off of all time. Thank you so much for listening. You know the drill. Trust the podcast and get ready to get back to the grind as I'm fired up and ready to roll into football season. Check back tomorrow for more Daily Jungle. See you then.
3: You ever hear something and know the world will never be the
4: same? Houston, we have liftoff. We'll wait until you hear this one. Half
0: price coffee. That's right. Get into McDonald's weekdays before 1030 a.m. for any size premium roast coffee or iced coffee. Both made with 100% Arabica beans. Both half the price. Good is brewing. (coughs) And that's
1: the sound of your morning changing. Limited time only. May not be combined with any offer or combo meal. And participate in McDonald's.